1: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is Andrew Kerr. Andrew is the host of the House Hacking Podcast. Today, Andrew's going to talk about how he started and scaled up to 40 small multifamily units a few years back and how he really felt that was taking up a lot of his time and basically freedom for what he was trying to accomplish. He sold off a lot of those units and started passively investing in syndications. So today he's going to sit down with us, tell us how that's been working out for him and how he's able to spend more time with his family, friends, work on his nonprofit, and travel like he really has the passion for. And if you guys do have a quick minute, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help out the show. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. I'm your host, Dante. Today's guest is Andrew Kerr. Andrew is the host of the House Hacking Podcast. A uh, great guy. He's got a great bio under you know under his name, what he's been doing under his belt for the past few years. Uh, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
0: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here with you. So I guess long story short, I'll try to make this as condensed as possible. (laughs) Going way back to high school, I was a kid if I liked the class and I liked the teacher, I got an A. If I didn't like the class or didn't like the teacher, I got a D. I did just enough to get by. Didn't go on the college, but you know, at 19 started working in the mortgage banking industry, worked my way up. By 20, I bought my first house and sort of midlife and sort of that 20-year period I had maybe as a quarter life crisis. I said, I'm making great money, hated life, ended up (laughs) in the nonprofit sector where my starting stipend was 800 bucks a month. And that's really what sort of propelled me to go really deep into real estate investing is to build longer term wealth, build that financial sort of stability so I can spend the time doing the things I like, like the nonprofit work and traveling.
1: That's great. And what do you do for the nonprofit? If you don't mind just touching on that real quick.
0: Yeah, not at all. So I actually started way back in 2008, just doing field work, gutting out flooded homes, cleaning out up after natural disaster. And I quickly realized, you know, I've got a different skill set. I'm really good at relationship building and the sales side of things and went into the fundraising side of it, so worked all around the world in places like Haiti, Kenya, um, all the way to uh, Indonesia, the Philippines, and of course back here in the U.S. But my primarily my primary role over the past sort of decade or so has been uh, director, of development, fundraising, that sort of thing.
1: Awesome, I love it. So you, you said early on, about twenty years old, you bought your first home. Was that just like a regular primary residence, single family, a house, hack it, multi? How did you start out with that? And however you did start out where'd that come from?
0: Yeah, so really by an accident. So here I am, right, 19 years old, just, you know, turning 20. And I started, uh, you know, looking, I'm working with all these folks, I'm processing loan applications, going through credit files. And I'm realizing like, man, you know, me and my buddy are getting ready to go rent an apartment. And, you know, it's going to cost us eight, nine hundred thousand bucks a month. You know, this is back in early 2000. And then you know, I sort of said, wait, these people are buying homes, and their total payment taxes, insurance, everything was about the same. So to me, there's just this idea of like, well, why don't I just go buy a home? And then my buddy can live with me and he can pay me rent. And now all of a sudden, we're both getting a nicer place than what we would have rented for. And then you have all the benefits of like appreciation, the equity pay down. And that was sort of my early start to um, house hacking, you know, Back then, we just called it, you know, having roommates, right? Um,
1: It didn't have this mainstream name to it. didn't have books written about it, you know, which is awesome. Um, Yeah,
0: I was going to say my, uh, you know, growing up, uh, a lot of folks might relate to this. You know, you always have chores around the house. So, mine in sort of end of middle school and through high school was always cut in the yard, which I hated absolutely doing. (laughs) So, when I bought the first place, I bought a townhouse. You know, and some folks were like, no, you got to stay away from... You know townhouses and condos because of HOAs, but H-ways, for me yeah. at that time it was one of the best things in the world because I didn't have any of that outside maintenance. And then you know that actually helped me understand an HOA better. And I invested quite uh, in quite a few uh, condos as well. Uh, and to me, it's not necessarily a bad thing with an HOA, but that early sort of uh, part of uh, purchasing a home and being in a townhouse with an HOA helped me understand them better for deal analysis down uh, later in my life.
1: Awesome. I love it. So then you're, I know you were telling me you went to your second house hack, 2011, 2016, you did your third house hack, which was with your girlfriend slash fiance, correct? Yep. And that was her first experience with the house hack as well, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was her first ever property. And I mean, it was, uh, it was probably one of the biggest and most challenging deals of my life. You know, we bought the property, I think for, was like 280 in some change. I think we had like 8,000 in closing costs in there. You know, we put in about a quarter million dollars into the property. It was an old uh, 1920s corner store, we converted it into three higher end apartments. And then there's a guest house garage out back that we uh, sort of like an old barn converted it into a one car garage and a little guest house. But yeah, that was her first ever property. And, you know, what we sort of agreed on and what I convinced her to do was like, you know, if we do a house hack, we're getting ready to get married. You know, you have your money. I have my money. This is a great way for us to start building wealth together as a soon to be married couple.
1: That's awesome. I love that. And then where'd you go from there?
0: Yeah, you know, so part of over that period of time, I always did a house hack or found places really cheap because I just realized, you know, part of it was I was in the nonprofit sector, you weren't making money. But even then, I was traveling all the time. And it was I'd be gone, not like Monday, come home Friday, it's like, be gone on Monday, come home two months later. So what I realized is I need to do a house hack throughout the period of life. That way, I could eliminate that biggest expense. So that's always been something that for me has been really important. Where you know it'd be cool to have a 10,000 square foot house but in reality we don't need it i mean we've got three bedrooms right now and we don't even use half the space that we have right and i think that's mm-hmm. most people so i've always used that as living cheaply or having your housing costs offset to let me build further wealth you know and over the sort of career i did uh college housing i did affordable housing which was absolutely crazy i think i had like 20 plus evictions that i did all by myself during that period of time and what ended up happening was i think it was about 2016 or so i was uh, basically up to about 40 doors total you know and in the real estate world there's this idea of like you know you're not really successful until you have 100 units or 1000 units
1: right right as i started going along
0: <laughs> yeah i just realized like you know i got to 10 and then i was like oh got to get to 25 and then when i get there it's like all right i got to get to 50 and all of a sudden i just realized like you know I don't really want the units. What I want is the income that comes from owning real yeah. estate. And then I sort of started selling off stuff over the sort of 2016 to 2019 and reinvesting in syndications.
1: Awesome, so you really went from house hacking to you know taking down some rentals, keeping the, the portfolio up, constantly looking to increase it. And then you realized, I'm sure after 20 plus ev- evictions in, you're just telling yourself, I, I don't wanna do this as such an active role, I want the more passive role. Um, and then you went over to syndications, which is great. And I definitely want to touch on that a little bit today. Um, talk to me real quick before we get into syndications, how you analyze syndications from a distance and all that good stuff. Talk to us about uh, your three pet peeves about, you know, real estate investing in, in the current day.
0: Yeah. You know, right now, I think some of the biggest sort of pet peeves with real estate investing in is, uh, I know you do syndications as well. So, uh, hopefully, I'm not going to offend you or anyone. You won't harp on me too bad here. (laughs) You know, these marketing gurus that are out there that talk about how they own 2,000 units or 3,000 units. And I understand what they're doing. One, it's just, it's marketing. So, I can't slam them for that. But then, the average person is all of a sudden going and dropping 500 or 1000 bucks on their course, thinking that they actually own those 3000 units. And what you really did is you structure that deal, you found the deal, you put it together, you raised all the money. But you and I know that, but the average person doesn't. And that lures him into thinking like, it's really easy. So like, I hate that. And then there's this sort of whole new wave of like, you know, when the 22-year-old has on their Instagram account, they're a serial entrepreneur. I'm just like, <laughs> come on, man. Like Mike Tyson had this awesome quote, or it could have been George Foreman, but it was like, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And, yep. you know, most folks, COVID-19 was the for, sort of first punch they've had. You know, they started investing in 2014, 2015, and they've had that rising tide that have lifted them and this is the first big challenge that they've had. And, you know, we're not even through this one. So uh, th- those are just a couple of my pet peeves with the real estate world right now and other real estate investors and how we portray ourselves and don't necessarily have sort of open conversations and do really gimmicky marketing.
1: No, you're hundred percent right. And I like what you said in the beginning about the syndication. All oh, I have 3000 units by my course because you're right. Um, that's obviously not a standpoint I do. I don't sell any courses. I don't do any mentorship just because I don't have as much experience as most people. So I try not to mentor towards people too much. That's why I have people like yourself on the show who have been through a real estate cycle or two and, and understand what's going on. Um, you know, I'm 22 years old. <laughs> I don't have a serial entrepreneur in my bio, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you're 100% right with that, how everyone's trying to act as a, a mentor or an authoritative figure in this area. So something that I really pride myself on is, personal and private relationships with my investors, you know, I don't go out there advertising saying I'm looking for investors or I'm not selling courses or, or, or selling something to people, obviously, because with 506B, you really can't do that. But at the same time, I'm really not trying to talk to the mass. Like sure. I'd like to educate some people and have some people, you know, slip into my email or something and build a substantial relationship with them. But you're hundred percent right. And that's something we're seeing a lot more of. And like you said, as well as, as COVID happens and more things happen with market corrections, we're going to see a lot of these guys kind of fade out into the distance when we'll hear about them again.
0: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a mastermind or selling courses. Like I bought tons of tons of courses. I used probably an executive coach for seven, eight year period of my life. It's extremely helpful. It can help prevent you from making mistakes. But what I really hate is that gimmicky marketing. You know, you'll have like 20 guys that are all in a deal together for a 200 unit apartment complex and they're all running around saying they own 200 units. And it's like, right. well, you own part of it, but like, it's sort of technically true, but you know, so that, that's just- a smaller
1: part to be exact too, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And really, you know, some of those folks don't even have any control over it. It's the sponsor that does. So um, yeah, that, that's sort of that. And then, um, you know, real estate syndications, the way I sort of approach it is sort of a three-prong approach, right? So you've got to look at the deal. Now you yep. might not personally going and looking at the deal, the sponsor is, but he's presenting it to you. You got to make sure that deal makes sense. You know, the way they're projecting rent increases, how they're looking at the overall market, what they're looking at to do value add. Are they saying, we're going to renovate all the roofs, but they're saying it's only going to cost hundred grand and they've got 20 buildings. You might be saying, all right, I don't think that's going to happen with right. that price. So you really got to analyze the deal. The second thing is you got to analyze the the location, right? What's the the MSA? So if they're going to be investing in like Fayetteville, North Carolina, a tertiary market, you really got to make sure you understand that market. I personally love Fayetteville because of Fort Bragg, but it's very different if you're just saying like, oh, it's Denver, Den- Denver's hot. So of course I just want to invest in that. And then the third piece I look at is actually the the partner, the sponsor. You know, we want to look at, make sure credit background check is done on them. You want to have your lawyer look over uh, the sort of MOU, private placement memorandum. You want to look through all the legal paperwork. You also want to look at their track record as well. So I don't mind partnering with folks that are newer, but I want to make sure there's, you know, the amount of return for that risk is there versus someone that's, you know, a 20-year pro. And, you know, one of the The two people that I really love sort of in the real estate space are Brandon Turner for so many obvious reasons. But the one I always like to point out, you know, he's been investing since the early 2000s. He's been through a couple of big challenges. And then the other one is Coach Carson. And, uh, you know, same thing, you know, he started investing, I think it was 2001, 2002. So they've made it through a couple uh, of these downturns and are, are doing well.
1: Right. No. And you touched on something that I was actually going to ask. You took the words right out of my mouth. Investing with new syndicators, new investors, new sponsors. How do you approach that? Because obviously as syndicators, they have to get started somewhere, whether that's bringing on a co-sponsor that does have, you know, 10, 5, you know, 5, 10 years or deals in, in experience on with them. What if they don't, do you just completely overlook them? Or how does that look for you? Obviously <clears throat> looking at the deal and, and kind of yeah. what they did before that.
0: It's got to be a really good deal and have a lot of upside and a lot of exit strategy. So if if there's a really thin margin and there's not a lot of room for them to make a mistake, and it's in say a tertiary market, you know I, I'm going to be very very leery. Uh, but what I do like to see is like you know if you're going to go after a 20 or a 50 unit or maybe a hundred unit, um, okay. Now if a new person's trying first ever deal that they're doing outside of like a duplex, it's like a 200 <laughs> unit deal, like come on, it's not going to work. Basically, you just need to refer that over to someone and let them run it. But then I also like to look at, you know, who are their partners or their advisors? You know, there's some folks that will try to take down a 50 deal, a 50 unit all on their own. But most of those folks that I've come across, they're smart. They've got a good advisor that they're paying a, a percentage of their sponsorship fee to to help guide them through that process and who they can turn to. So those are a couple of the things that I'll look at, you know, size of the deal, what the margins are on it. Um, if they don't have the track record and then who are they turning to? when they actually have a challenge that comes up, you know, who's their set of advisors.
1: Yeah. I like that. And you know, something else you said, you know, Oh, first time deal going for 200 plus units. Everyone's trying to 10 it, going for as big as they could possibly go, make it all the money off the acquisition fee, whatnot. But that 20, 20- excuse me, that 20 to one hundred unit spot, that's great because you're not competing with so much of the smaller guys that have the lower barrier to entry with small multifamily, but you're also not competing with the REITs or the bigger syndication. So it kind of gives you some more room to find a deal there. Uh, yeah, it might not look as so advantageous because it's a little bit smaller, but it's a, it's a great starting point to build that credibility as a syndicator, which is awesome. Um, well,
0: one of the interesting things about these, you know, right. syndications is a lot of folks say like it's easier to get financing for bigger unit deals. And in some ways it is, right? <clears throat> if you're going after that agency debt, you know, that Fannie Freddie, uh multifamily stuff, you can get the non-recourse debt. But a lot of those folks, while they won't They'll check you out personally, they're really looking at the asset. But a lot of times, you know, your lead partner or your partners actually have to have the net worth equivalent to the loan amount when you're playing in that, you know, million to $10 million space. And you can't do that on your own for, for most folks, especially newer folks, you know, they don't have the $2 million net worth, so they can get the loan for $2 million to take down that, you know, $3 million deal.
1: Right, you're right, and that's where you know the loan guarantor comes in, or someone that's going to sign on the dotted line, get some equity, or get a uh, you know a percentage of um, cash flow in there. Which is it, it's very true. So there's definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome in that first deal. That's why I think it's great to maybe have a co-sponsor that's done some deals before that has a good track record, and you just say, hey, listen, I need you here purely because I haven't done this before, and I need someone to help me with the investors, because what makes you think you or myself wants to fork over 50, $100,000 to someone who's doing their first one and using us as their uh, their guinea pig, basically. Yeah. How many um, syndications have you invested in to date?
0: Uh, man, I'd have to go and look. I think I'm probably, <laughs> so I've done some where folks like you or buddies that I've met just over the years will do sort of that private synd- syndication. And I'm probably in, I think, five of those right now. And then um, I really love like Crowd Street for the fact that it presents so many opportunities for folks that I wouldn't come across, and lets me right. really diversify across several uh, geographic areas. And I also really like what Crowd Street has done with having other avenues outside of multifamily. <laughs> I haven't pulled the trigger yet on anything outside of multifamily, just because I, I, I feel like I can understand the residential and multifamily side. Right. Of things, it's a familiar but, asset for you. Yeah. Versus, you know, self-storage definitely looks sexy, but I, I don't understand that. So
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly new asset class. It seems like it's getting a lot of traction at the moment. So, you know, it's something everyone's looking to learn. Now, talk to us about what you're looking for when you are going in to look at a deal from a sponsor. Someone sends you, you know, their, the marketing packet for that property. What are you looking for or what entices you to invest in one of these deals?
0: Yeah. Now at this point, it's security, right? I mean, I want to know my investment's going to be secure and like, I don't need a 20% IRR on a deal. So, you know, early on in my investing career, <laughs> I was doing everything myself, right? I I do flooring, I'd hang cabinets, you know, I did the property management because you had more time than you had money and you were okay doing more risk or sort of hedging what you're doing. Nowadays, you know, like if someone can get me a solid deal, that's only going to do like, six to eight percent cash on cash and 12 percent you know internal rate of return i'm very okay with that if i feel really secure in the deal i'm like great there's so much upside like they really have to do something dumb to mess up this deal where like it was built in the 1980s stuff hasn't been rented or renovated since like the early 2000s there's the ability to sub meter you know all these different things where it's like stuff's below market rent you can improve the facilities, there's bad property management in place and you just gotta put in better property management when there's so many opportunities to make the deal go right. So it's like, look, you mess up, you get three things wrong, but you get four things right, the deal's gonna come out ahead. That's really sort of what I, I start to look at of what's that value add? What are more things where we can force appreciation and have control over the sort of destiny? And then the other thing like I really try to avoid is anything sort of new construction um, you know, I don't want to have a, a deal make no return for two years while they're building out an apartment complex. So I like the sort of cash flow uh, being distributed out every quarter, you know starting almost immediately.
1: That's great. yeah. And, and like you said, something where there's a lot of value add components where you could throw a dart at the wall and hit a few of them, um, which you know it is great for that syndication and what you're looking for for that project. And so today, like you said, you're looking for more security. Earlier on, you know, you're looking for something a little better. So I think that's really important too. You're not just taking that big risk to get that big reward. You're keeping your, you know, everything in line, so that way it is a little bit safer. What else would you tell the listeners about about passively investing in a syndication that they should know, that they should vet, or even places they should go to get educated on this?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, bigger pockets is like the the giant gorilla, right? They've got almost everything there. Um, you can from, I don't know if they changed it, but CrowdStreet used to have it where anyone could actually sign up for an account. And then you could listen in on the webinars for the sponsors that were uh, bringing deals to the table. You couldn't invest without being vetted and, you know, getting the letter from your CPA or turning in tax returns and all of that good jazz. But, you know, going and sitting in and listening to them, just how they talk about the deal, their plan is and then when they do like that live q a at the end where investors will start hitting them with stuff and that just is a great way to to really uh learn and then there's some cool uh podcasts out there uh you know jake and gino's uh podcast what's it uh wheelbarrow profits i think was the name of it so Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of uh podcast episodes out there that you can start to listen to to get a better understanding of real estate syndication deals but i mean if you want to invest passively that's sort of the way to go right i mean if you want to be in real estate and you want to be passive you either invest in reits through you know fidelity vanguard you know whoever your brokerage accounts with and go with some great big reits or find uh, those uh, syndications where they're going to take down a 100 200 unit apartment and you know you can go in with 50 75 100 other folks and get a pretty decent return um, you know, the biggest thing folks need to really be aware of, is it's not liquid, right? So when I put a deal, money into to a deal in syndication, like, I'm not expecting to see that money back for three, five, seven years. And it's very different mindset when folks are used to the brokerage account of like, great, I can buy and sell as long as it's an open trading day and the market's open. So it's a very different uh, mindset.
1: Awesome. I love that. And uh, like you said, bigger pockets is a great place to go get education from it. But what you're saying about CrowdStreet Street there, where you can go in, listen to the investors, listen to people asking questions of how they're presenting the deal. You listen to enough of those, you're gonna kind of find out what they're referring to and what a good sponsor sounds like, looks like, and presents versus maybe a not so good one. So it's kind of cool. You can kind of speed date with all these different, you know, investors and all these syndicators. So I love that. Let's uh, talk about your podcast a little bit. So the House Hacking Podcast, where did that originate from? What made you want to start that?
0: Yeah, really at the time when I I launched it end of last year, you know, there's tons of real estate shows out there, really great ones like yours, obviously. But (laughs) there there wasn't um, anything specifically related to house hacking. You know, almost every real estate show had touched on it for at least one episode, if not multiple episodes. So part of it was to say like, hey, th- th- I think there's a need out there. So I want to fill it. And then the other part of it was most folks that want to get into real estate investing, they end up asking me, you know, Andrew, what's the easiest way to get into real estate investing I was like, go do a house hack, because that's going to save you your housing costs, which lets you build up capital to then go do a deal, it lets you learn how to be a landlord, lets you learn to work with contractors, lets you learn about property management, all of those pieces it's a great sort of proving ground. And then from the other side of it, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate early on, when I started getting into real estate investing, I had a mentor that just sort of helped me for making so many different mistakes. So this was sort of, as you know, there's not really money in the podcast game, unless you're Joe Rogan and pulling down like, you know, 10s of millions of dollars. Yeah. So it's sort of a labor of love and sort of my way to say, like, hey, here's a way I can help out and interview some cool people. And I have a lot of fun with it. So we really dive into the different styles of house hacking. We've got some really great stories of folks house hacking with kids, with family, with teenagers, folks house hacking when they're single. And we really want to sort of broaden it other than like, a lot of folks had this idea of like house hacking is a sacrifice. It's not at all. Like even when my wife and I were in our previous house hack, you know, we had a two bedroom, one bathroom wasn't huge, but I mean, we had like a 60 gallon soaker jacuzzi tub. We had marble floors in the bathroom, hardwood floors, you know, and then we transitioned to the house hacker and now it's a hundred year old historic home in new Orleans. You know, we're less than a mile from the French quarter. I've got my favorite barbecue joint within walking distance, you know, we're three bedrooms, two bathrooms, fenced in yard. So we really try to give examples of, you know, you could do house hacking, when you're struggling to get by and to get ahead financially. And then there's this whole other set of folks that just say, look, you know, I like house hacking for the lifestyle that it is. So we wanted to showcase some uh, folks that are are doing it from that side of it as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's awesome because something you touched on, you're learning, you're learning how to be a landlord, but you're doing it at a, a pace where you're not drinking water out of a fire hose, you know, you're practicing with one, two, three, maybe four different tenants, which is fine. That's not a lot. It's a great way to start, especially if you're doing the duplex approach where you're living in one side, renting out the other, you're not paying a mortgage, getting your equity paid down and you're learning how to be a landlord. I think that's a great approach. And that's what I tell people too. You know, the first time they're looking to invest, you know, Hey, I want to get started. And you know, they don't have the 20, 25% down. Well, Hey, that's great. I've got great news for you. There's a program literally made just for you. And uh, as a real estate agent, I work with a lot of clients that do this as well. And it's, it's, it's a great strategy and it's a great learning tool. Um, And you're not really sacrificing all the time. Like you described yourself, you know, it sounds like you have a beautiful home, a great location. I highly doubt you're struggling too much with that. You know, you're, you're putting the wheels in motion you're doing things right. So I really enjoyed that. And I appreciate the podcast as well. You guys want to go check that out. He's got some great episodes on there. There's plenty of people to listen to their different stories. And again, Like you're like you were saying Andrew the the different house hacking strategies because there's so many ways to do it there really is Um, whether it's a single family or all the way up to you know a quadplex which is awesome being able to you know put three thousand dollars down for every hundred thousand that's huge capitalize on that especially with the low interest rates right now that is huge go buy a four hundred thousand dollar quadplex for. Uh, what's that, you know, $12,000 down? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. unheard of. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you can't do that as an investor, right? So it's a right. great way to get access into deals for very little money down.
1: Yep, I love it. Um, yeah, a- anything else you want to touch on real quick before we, you know, switch gears? So we definitely, we looked at house hacking a little bit. We we looked at, you know, how you're vetting a syndication, what you're doing with the podcast. Anything else you want to touch on? Andrew, please take the floor.
0: No, man. I mean, this has been great. Let's roll into your uh, next set of questions.
1: Awesome. I love it. Uh, so this is the Curious Qs. We ask the same series of questions to all of our guests. First question is your favorite podcast you like listening to besides myself or yourself. <laughs> you
0: know, from the personal finance side, I love uh, Choose FI. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they got some great guests. I don't listen to every single episode anymore. I sort of pick and choose the guests. But I mean, they got such a great back catalog of episodes. You know, that's sort of one of my defaults to, to download a bunch of episodes when I'm getting ready to go for a drive.
1: Yeah. They're great. I mean, they touch on every, every section of the financing. I mean, even we get into, you know, some dividend stock payouts, things like that, they touch on it. And one of my buddies got me their book for a wedding gift. So that was pretty oh, awesome. awesome too.
0: That's a good yeah. wedding
1: gift. It is. It's a great wedding gift. I I don't even want money because I can use that book to make more money. That's how I look at it. Favorite book to enjoy reading?
0: Oh uh, man. I think, uh, right now I'm reading, uh, Gary V's book. It's, uh, the, um, Oh jab jab, uh, uppercut. Um, I forget the name of the title, but you know he's got some. uh, I love following his Instagram account. You know he's really big with the social media, digital media, how he's doing it. Uh, But his uh, book's been pretty awesome. That's what's sort of on my uh, nightstand right now.
1: Awesome, I love that. Yeah, he he's a great figure out there, and just as simple: stop caring what other people think. Get into your own gear. Kind of with that hallway vision where you just need to look at what's ahead and not what's this idea, what other people are doing. And I think that's, that's huge in that aspect is just focus on yourself first and what you're looking to accomplish. Don't compare yourself with others. So yeah, Gary B is great for that. Biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in real estate?
0: Man, I mean, there's been a lot, um, you know, all those evictions when I was doing affordable housing, I've unfortunately had, uh, you know, over my almost 18 years of investing, two property fires, uh, separate properties, um, you know, that, that's that been a big challenge there. Um, yeah, I mean, those property fr- fires were, you know, in the time when they happen, it's a pretty scary thing. It's like, alright, you know, one was in a condo that I owned. And it, in that building, I think there's another 20 units. So, you know, it starts to get a little scary. And then the other one was in a quad. And it's like, alright, you know, is anyone actually hurt? Did someone die? Luckily, everyone got out there wasn't an issue. Uh, One was someone was cooking and had a grease fire. The other one, they had their mother um, living with them and she was going senile and uh, thought she was smoking outside, but was smoking inside and threw a cigarette in the closet. And next thing you know, the building's going up and- Oh my goodness. Those were probably some of the, the bigger challenges, but you know, I had reserves, I had good insurance. And then, you know, by the time it was all done, properties were put back together. It didn't really hurt me at all from a financial aspect. It was a lot of just worry and sleepless nights trying to figure out what's going to happen and going through that.
1: Yeah. It's all part of the game, right, my friend? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, favorite non real estate related hobby you like doing in your free time?
0: Oh man, I feel like right now it's been like real estate's everything. Um, So lately, (laughs) because it's been uh, you know COVID, haven't been able to go out a lot. Um, I've been following uh, Parker Walbeck and Peter McKinnon on YouTube. They're sort of uh, videography, filmography. So uh, trying to pick up and improve my uh, photography skills and my videography skills.
1: Awesome. And would you say now that you're doing a lot of passive syndication, you have a lot more time on your hands than you did before managing all the the affordable housing properties or so so
0: yeah so college housing was easy that was almost always outsourced to a property manager for affordable housing was man it was around the clock uh, but you know now that you know 2016 when i started switching over to passive investing i started investing outside of real estate went really heavy tried to invest more in you know uh, equities and then also started to look at more small businesses and then other sort of income streams that i can build out as well so Um, while my time isn't taken up with real estate, it feels like, you know, 12 hour day can go by and next thing I know, like my wife's like, Hey, you know, it's nine o'clock. And I'm like, all right, I guess the day's (laughs) over.
1: I love it. That's great. Newbie advice you give to a new investor looking to get started.
0: You just got to pull the trigger sometimes, right? You know, study, 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 and then just pull the trigger. And in reality, unless you're being crazy, stupid, you're not going to really get hurt that bad. And then, you know, when you think back, most folks, when they go to college, right, you'll spend what five grand for a semester, maybe like two grand and yeah, you learn a lot. So, you know, this approach is get the deal done. And if you can come out breaking even, that's a win. I mean, even if you come out losing a grand, I mean, think what you just compare that, what you paid to college and what you learned. I mean, not every every deal is going to be a winner. So if you can come out, you know, breaking even that that in itself is a win. So, look at it that way and just pull the trigger and get started.
1: No, that's great. Yeah. Just learning from what you've been doing, even if it's a small loss or it's a wash, basically you had free education for that wash, so to speak. I'll tell you this, Andrew, real quick. I mean, some people on the show have heard this, you'll laugh. So about pulling the trigger for my first property, I was always doing the analysis paralysis, going, seeing properties, walking through it, not pulling the trigger. So there was this one off market property I was going to see it was a duplex. I, I told myself, I was like, listen, man, you just need to buy this real So you're never going to get started doing this. So I meet the owner there and walk through the first unit. We go up the back stairs, we go through the second unit. I was like, okay, I'll buy it. No home inspection. Didn't look in the basement. Didn't look in the attic. Cause I just needed to pull the trigger and make it happen. Luckily that is like one of my best cash flowing properties to this date. but it was just like that. If you want to learn how to swim, you got to jump in the water kind of thing. And because I took action on that first one, I made it happen. I will never, ever tell anyone to do that. That's just really just kind of telling my story where it came from. Yeah. I'm lucky there was nothing wrong with that basement. I'm lucky there's nothing wrong with that attic, you know. yeah. Um, it was well, just a matter like, of- good. could you
0: pull the trigger to say you wanted it? I would have right. just like added like, great, sign the contract and do due diligence, you know, and get exactly. your inspections and all that stuff. But
1: it wasn't yeah. even thinking, it was just like, I gotta do this. And yeah. because I did that, that's where the snowball effect came from. So I tell that, you know, just to relate to people, listen, yeah, I've done it. I've done a bunch of stuff, but I didn't start it like a professional. I started like a rookie of a rookie, you know, as bad as it could be. And that's yeah. just, again, going to pull the trigger. Cause once that happens at law, the first deal, you just get hungry for the second, the third and you want to keep moving. So like, it's always a fun story. I love seeing people's reactions when I tell them that, like, like yours, your smile is huge. Cause you're just like, you got to be I knew be right you. <laughs> where
0: you were going too. I was like, Oh man.
1: <laughs> yep. That's good. And where do you see yourself in 10 years?
0: So, what we're actually starting to look at now is um, the uh, golden visas, economic visas. So, uh, not from the fact that we, you know, there's some folks that hate the US and are looking at leaving for that reason. Like, I I love the US. The amount of opportunity we have here is awesome. But my wife and I want to spend our 40s in Europe and then in Asia. So, a lot of countries, if you go and invest a certain threshold, say like you know in Greece i think it's like $250,000 or euros you put in you actually can get a visa for 3 years or 5 years so what we're looking at starting to do now or what are some real estate opportunities overseas to sort of satisfy that set of diversification but then also just you know spend some time abroad in different country you know we love travel i think i'm at like 35 36 different countries i've been to my wife's been to 40 so just the fact to be able to go spend you know five to 10 years overseas would be pretty awesome. And then come back uh, to the US, you know, by that time our parents will be uh, quite a bit older and it'd be better to be back here uh, stateside. That's
1: Great, yeah, spend some time uh, out of the country. Well, you got those syndications pounding away for you, am I right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, uh, where was your favorite country you went to? Or uh, top two, uh, maybe it, if that's hard. Italy,
0: man, Italy's just, you know, I, I was supposed to actually be there, we were gonna go for my wife's 35th birthday and spend, you know, a week in Milan, uh, actually, a week in um, Sweden and then go over to Milan for a week. But uh, COVID, that got canceled. That would have been my fifth trip to Italy. So Italy's by far one of my uh, favorite countries.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, my wife and I, for our honeymoon, we were debating whether we wanted to do Italy or uh, somewhere in the Caribbean. And we just defaulted to the Caribbean because it was like, listen, you know, it's closer. It's quicker to get to. We're going to be really excited. We'll just want to go. So we'll do Italy another time. We can plan around it more. So looking forward to going to Italy. And now you tell me a little bit more, you know.
0: Hey, when you go, let me know, man. I will give you all the inside scoop. Uh, One of my really good friends is originally from Italy. And one of our last trips, we actually went over, uh, she had her wedding back home in Southern Italy. And we got to hang out in her hometown. And for the like true Italian wedding, it was pretty awesome.
1: That's awesome. I love that. That's sweet. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time this evening to chat with us on the podcast. Where can people connect with you hear more about you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the House Hacking Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, it's all out there in, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. And then my personal handle is F-I-B-Y-R-E-I. It's uh, Financial Independence uh, Through Real Estate Investing. Is the uh, website
1: and all the Instagram handles. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you again, Andrew, for hopping on this evening and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit VictoryCapGroup.com. See you next week.